0: Welcome once again to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined as usual by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Corey. Hey, what's up, Todd? Not too much. This was a big week. I think, I think we could all agree on that. And so let's just dive right into the big news. Governor Cox vetoed HB 11. That was a bill that would bar transgender athletes from playing high school sports. Super majorities of the Utah House and Senate voted to override the governor's veto on Friday. Todd, you voted to uphold the veto and I allow did. transgender girls. That means uh, that is to say uh, former born males tra- transitioned to female to play girl sports. Why don't you tell us about your decision?
1: Well, you know, I think uh, probably f- Five or ten years ago, I would have uh, voted to override the veto. Um, I think that for me, and I've 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 talked to a lot of other people. I think the more transgendered people and the families of LGBT LGBT youth that you meet, um, it, it kind of tends to you know, change your perspective. And so, ultimately, because the other ten states, including Idaho, that had previously banned uh, passed bans of transgender. Participation in in female sports. All of those ten bans have been enjoined by the federal court, and and we are ninety nine point nine nine percent sure that the tenth circuit will enjoin Utah's ban as well. Um, I just want to emphasize we're not really protecting women's sports with this because all we're doing is passing a law. We're going to spend millions of dollars defending the law, and it's going to be enjoined um, probably before it goes into effect on july 1st and the um the original bill which i voted against uh did not indemnify the utah high school athletic association which uh, would have surely bankrupted that organization i brought that that issue up the night the last night of the session and and we still passed it anyway but um you know and some people are very dismissive of this argument but for me it's very real because I, i know so many of these kids and their families, but the suicide rate among our transgender teens is about uh, a, you know 13 times higher than for regular youth. And over half, over half, over 50% of the transgender youth in Utah will attempt to take their own lives at some point. We know that statistically. And I saw this bill primarily as a trigger uh, for making these kids who are already vulnerable and marginalized feel like the entire state government is going out of its way to make them feel even more unwelcomed and awkward. And quite frankly, I did some research. We have exactly one uh, transgender male uh, playing female sports in Utah at the varsity level one. And I know which high school they go to, but I'm just going to say it's in Salt Lake County. And I talked to a referee who has actually refed a game that this girl uh, played in. She's not good enough to start. Um, she, uh, she was allowed to serve a few serves. She's, um, she, she's having no impact on the, on, on, on the outcome of the game. So all of this rhetoric that you hear, oh, we've got to run in and save, you know, I know, uh, it's all, it's all imaginary in Utah and I'm familiar with, you know, of course, with Leah, is it Thomas or Thompson in Pennsylvania and all the records she set and, and all that, this bill has no effect on Pennsylvania. It has no effect on college sports in fact the ncaa has had its own rules in place since 2011 the olympics have had their own rules for transgender athletes in place since 2004 and the utah high High school athletic association without this bill already required very similar to the ncaa already required these kids to be on hormone blockers for one full year before they could compete at the varsity level and so i felt like primarily the bill there's some good arguments for the bill uh, I've outlined a few of the arguments against the bill, but I felt primarily this was a solution looking for a problem, and I, I didn't think it, it warranted making all of these uh, LGBT kids and their families feel targeted by the state government. So I I felt like the governor's uh, veto letter, four or five page veto letter, uh, really captured a lot of the feelings I had. Um, I, I voted against this bill at every level, and I would have voted against last year if I had the chance.
0: Thanks for that. So just, just another perspective. I I don't, I also agree. I don't believe either side here has questionable motives. I strongly believe the trans advocates are fighting for what they think is best for these transgender children who, who I totally get and understand are at risk. And I also, but I also know that the other side sees this as an issue of of fairness and competition for women's sports. What I'm getting at is, I mean, I just reject categorically, I'm not saying you're making this argument, but many have that these these self-serving and ad hominem attacks that people on the other side of the issue are bullies or motivated by hate. I think that's such hyperbolic nonsense. And and I think that sort of hysteria is really the cause for why our discourse in America is so broken. So I just want to say that. And also, you, you might argue that the effect is to marginalize a particular group, even if the intent was not hateful. But I think you could also argue that the effect of disregarding human anatomy is the effect is to disenfranchise female athletes, even if the intent was to help transgender teenagers, a good intent. So everything has trade-offs. We have to balance interests, interests of the few. We want to include those among us who who are facing these challenges. I certainly for my part, I mean, I would support additional money for services. Um, Certainly, they're welcome to participate in ninety nine percent of the activities in high school. From debate to drama to barrel racing and in fact that's the, how the overwhelming majority of high school students do engage in high school i mean honestly only a very small percentage make the team in a 6a high school like sky ridge here in lehigh so we need to balance those interests with what's fair for all girls you know 50 percent of the population i think we do need compassion and and i do think we do need to consider inclusion and, you know, maybe some additional mental health services, maybe some other specialized attention. I don't know. I think that's a good conversation to have. And I think many, most Utahns would be happy to have that. I think, I think most Utahns, and, I, and honestly, the overwhelming majority, I believe, um, just also believe that we need order and not chaos. I mean, for example, immigrants don't get to decide whether they can come into our country. We get to decide collectively as Americans. We will allow some to enter, but not all. And we just have to, we have to weigh the interests collectively. And I know there are some girls and women who don't think it's a big deal to have biological males competing in girls sports, just as there are any number of trans people who share the concerns about fair competition. I also know there are many female athletes who say, hey, wait a minute. I worked really hard. Why should I have to take a back seat to someone with these physical advantages? So I think there are competing values that need to be weighed. I think you're right, and you make a great case for why we should be concerned with this with uh, this group of people, these kids. and And I agree. I think that a compromise solution would have been better. I don't love that we're setting ourselves up for expensive litigation. Totally agree on that. And I'm also not sure that an all-out ban was necessary, because you can certainly imagine a school that has difficulty fielding a team, you know, a, a volleyball team or something, or or a, a softball team, but. It's hard to f- come to a compromise or to craft a compromise, and I think uh, Representative uh, Kara Birkeland did a great job trying. But it's really hard to m- compromise with yourself when the other side really isn't interested in finding solution. They're much more interested in in uh, his histrionics and this war of attrition. So I do want to also really quickly address one one uh, common uh, criticism that I'm seeing on the internet, which is. Uh, that the legislators you know better than me, but but the legislators supposedly are only doing this for the convention for the primary. I mean honestly, I think that's just another way of saying that they recognize the will of the constituents, right? And so honestly you're not you, but like those who are making this argument, I mean, I think your real quarrel is with the people of Utah because this is overwhelmingly you know there, there, there is a view and it's over it's probably a 75 25. Issue And among Republicans is probably 90 to 10 or 95 five. But last thought, the governor called out the process fouls in his uh, in his letter. I think it was he certainly articulated his view, called out the process foul, said that it was going to be expensive. Um, He implies that he would prefer a compromise solution. I think those are all fair arguments that you just made, too. But I really do think that he buried the lead. His real quarrel with this issue is he, given the choice, would prefer no bill at all. And my guess, Todd, is that's where you are, too. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'll give you the last word on this.
1: Yeah, I would probably prefer no bill again because it's it's not a problem in Utah. And everybody's acting like um, the, if we don't do this, this session, the floodgates are going to open. And let me just say the number of LGBT kids in our state is a very small uh, group of kids. The number of trans is a very small group of that small group. And the number of trans kids who want to compete competitively at the varsity level is a very small segment of that small group of that small group. And so I don't expect that next year, we're going to have a hundred trans kids. And the next year after that, we're going to have 300. And in fact, like I said, the Olympics and has been dealing this with with this for two decades. And uh, the NCAA, the high school athletic association has been dealing it for over a decade. And we have one one biological, male-born biological boy who is now compete, wanting to compete as a transgender female. And I believe that athlete uh, graduates in two months. So <laughs> this bill doesn't even go into effect until October. And so I do I do believe, now, now I think there's a fair argument to be made that we want to get a policy in place before we have maybe five students or 10 students or 20 students. I'm not sure that we'll ever get that high, but we already have a policy in place. And that is, you have to be on hormone blockers for a full year um, uh, be, before you can compete at the high school level, and that's why we only have the one. And so, again, um, I don't, I don't, I, I, don't think there's any legislators that hate trans people. I think that some legislators uh, chose to try to protect the biological females from having to compete against uh, quote unquote boys, and others were like me, were more concerned with you know, protecting some of the most vulnerable and marginalized uh, kids in our state. And so I I don't think anyone was motivated out out of hate. Um, I I do think, though, um, I I do think, though, the Republican Party nationally is making a, a mistake, long term mistake, by by trying to double down on being anti-LGBT. I don't think it's a long-winning strategy. And I'll just give you an example of that. I was shared a uh, this week, uh, a survey from students at West High School, 70% of them, over 70% of them, were fine with transgender females competing in female sports. And I think the kids are way ahead of their parents. I don't disagree with you. I think that uh, if we took a vote right now of the general public, I think that uh, they would vote the way the legislature did. I will say the delegates... Um, Especially this year, are more conservative than Utahns in general, and and that's not even debatable. It's 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 uh, it's it's pretty evident. We and and speaking of that, uh, are we going to talk about? You want to talk about the Davis County Convention next?
0: Yeah, let's do it. So you just had the Davis County Convention. We had uh, Representative Andy lost his lost his his district. Yes. Um, Any other uh, takeaways? You were there.
1: Yeah, the delegates are, are very conservative this year, and, and that's fine. Um, you know, I think it's not going to be a friendly reception for... Allie Isom and uh, Becky Edwards. Um, uh, and I think Becky's probably going to get her signatures. She's got, she's had 22,000 verified now, and she has until April 11th to get the other 6,000 in. I think I'm guessing that Allie Isom's not going to get her signatures. So I'm expecting that, that she'll get bounced at the state convention and that Becky will probably lose at the, um, at the June primary. Um, but here, here's the thing. I've tried, I, I've only, I only attended the caucuses at Woods Cross high school and there were about 20 precincts there. Two of those precincts had no one show up at all. I was in charge of what we called the orphan precincts. We had several precincts with one or two people, my precinct, uh, Woods Cross seven who, hoorah. we had about a dozen people. And we had a nice caucus. I was elected as a delegate, even though I'm not as conservative as some, our other delegate that was elected is more conservative than I am. And that's fine. It's a big tent, but, um, at the convention, just whenever somebody threw out the red meat, you know, the crowd cheered and, and, um, all of the, all of the moderate challengers lost and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, uh, all of the, what I would call less extreme conservative incumbents were forced in a primary and not only the legislators, but also on the County, the County commission races. Um, I'll make one other observation. Every single female, that ran against an incumbent or, or ran for an open seat, um, uh, uh, lost to a male competitor and, and you, and it may be that the males were stronger, but we know that the delegates are usually 80 to 90% male, uh, usually white male, usually Mormon white male. And, you know, these things have been pointed out for a decade and, and, and the party, uh, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I believe in the caucus system. I've been a strong caucus supporter, but um, statistically we've had we, we've known these the fact that the, the the demographics of the delegates does not match the demographics of the state, and I haven't seen really the party take any steps to try to um, diversify that. I think there was one caucus about four or six years ago where we were kind of encouraged to elect more females and I think we did that year. I don't think that that happened this year, but here's my point, Corey. with low attendance, the people that tend to come out. Are the ones that are angry or upset about something, and I, I think I think from from my experience in Davis County, and I'm going to guess, I'm going to extrapolate that this is uh, statewide. We have a lot of very conservative, kind of uh, angry delegates, and the incumbents like Steve Handy, who who did not collect signatures, um, he was shown the door. And I talked to him last night. He I considered him a friend, and he said, you know, this is on me. Uh, I, I should have collected signatures and I didn't. And I'm a little bit amazed that he didn't because the same thing happened to Brad Daw in Utah County um, just two years ago. And Brad was, I think, fairly conservative. Uh, but uh, again, th- th- I think there's a little bit of an anti-incumbent uh, feel among these delegates. And um, I mean, that, that's not gonna apply to Mike Lee, but I think it's gonna apply to just about everybody else.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Those are really interesting takeaways. I think uh, here in Utah County, I think we're going to have a, um, at least a couple of women are, are poised to, to win. We don't know if that's
1: going to Well, be- Amelia Gardner is an incumbent and yeah. Marsha Judkins is an incumbent. So you have a couple of incumbent female um, yeah. people down there. And you know, we, and I, I didn't mention this, she didn't fit my category, but we had an incumbent, Carrie Ann Lisenby who, um who did when I can't remember, no, but her her primary challenger was also female, so she got seventy one percent. Brad Wilson got seventy one percent, and uh, Melissa Garf Ballard, though, um, who's an incumbent, she finished second to to her challenger. Um, but I think she'll be fine in the primary. In fact, I think all of the all of the other legislators who have been forced into primaries in Davis County, I think they'll all win their primaries. Uh, we'll see, but, but that's my expectation. Mm, I
0: mean, it's interesting that Davis County did it so early too. So the Utah County convention is in two weeks and, uh, man, that's, that's a really tight turnaround.
1: Yeah. So there was a, because there's a short, uh, there's a shortened election season this year because of, um, some federal laws and things. And so I think they didn't want to do Utah County, Salt Lake County and Davis County all in the same days, because we have like the governor and John Dugal, they want to go and speak out all of them. So they did Mm -hmm. the Northern ones, um, yesterday so utah i mean sorry davis county weber county brigham uh what's brigham city uh cache county and and then the one there's selder the county they all did their conventions yesterday so it was kind of the northern mm-hmm. segment
0: so i think i do uh i, I I've, I've been told that um Allie's pretty close on the signatures that she probably will okay but see um, becky the-
1: turned in 28000 and only 20000 were verified so yeah, what, I mean, that, what, that,
0: that, that could, well, my be.
1: guess is, is Allie's. you have to have all 28,000, you have to have 20,000 signatures to turn them in. So if she's close, she's close to collecting 28,000, but then you, you have to figure there's going to be an attrition rate. And, and Becky was expecting uh, more than 8,000 of hers to get bounced. And so if, if Ally turns them in next week and she has 10,000 bounced, then, then she doesn't have a lot of time to make those up.
0: Yeah. And we'll have to see, we'll have to see that happens. All right. Uh, last, uh, last topic. And this is a big one though. The U S Senate Judiciary Committee held hearings on the nomination of Ketanji Brown Jackson to the U S Supreme court. You posted on Twitter urging before, Republicans...
1: before, before the hearings, I posted on Twitter
0: before the hearings, you yeah. posted on Twitter urging Republicans to vote yes on her confirmation. Um, I'm, let me share my thoughts first, and then I would love to give you a chance to make your case. So I want to say, I think that, uh, that, Judge Jackson definitely has an inspiring story. She seems uh, very smart. She's obviously very accomplished. Uh, She's overcome substantial challenges in her life. I don't question her qualifications or her intellectual ability. She seems uh, like she would fit on the court. Um, But Democrats changed the game many years ago. It used to be the case that if you were qualified, you got confirmed as a judge. But. In uh, the early 2000s, the Democrats they smashed, absolutely demolished that that practice. And I'm going to give you a couple stories. Miguel Estrada, this incredible man from Hond- Honduras, came uh, to America very poor with a single mom. He had a speech impediment. He's got the uh, he absolutely <laughs> the, the American dream personified. Democrat or Democrats just uh, they blocked him. This was the introduction of the the contemporary filibuster. This, was the, this, this is the birth of the modern filibuster in America. And then another one I'll give you, Janice Rogers Brown, uh, African-American woman, daughter of a sharecropper, a World War II vet, her dad. She graduated from college as a single mother with kids. She built a, a career in the law, was appointed to the California Supreme Court. Democrats filibustered her along with Miguel Estrada to the, uh, the, the uh, D.C. Circuit. Ultimately, she was able to make, uh, get, get confirmed, Estrada wasn't, but uh, Democrats led by Joe Biden made it very clear that she could not be chosen. George Bush will not choose her as a Supreme Court nominee because she would be filibustered and blocked. This, this would, this, she would have been the first African-American woman to make it on the court. So fast forward today, Democrats filibustered all three of President Trump's Supreme Court nominees, Neil Gorsuch. Gorsuch he did have three uh, Democrat votes: Mansion and then two others, Hyde Camp and Donnelly, who were out of the Senate. Kavanaugh he got Mansion's vote. That's it. Uh, but again, these were all filibustered. And Amy Coney Barrett, zero Democrat votes. Uh, and that's to say nothing of the dozens upon dozens of other judges the Dems filibustered, really for no other reason than that they were not Republican, that they were Republican judges and not, uh, you know, liberals. So Biden. Let's clarify the record. President Biden, when he was in the Senate, he voted against John Roberts. He voted against Samuel Alito on the court. Obama voted against Roberts. Obama voted against Alito. And the Democrats started this 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 parlor game of character assassination with Robert Bork and uh, Clarence Thomas um, uh, Alito. We all remember Kavanaugh from a couple of years ago, uh, that he was uh, accused. Hey, he of likes beer, rape. right? He likes beer, right? He likes beer, yeah. And then apparently he gang raped, uh, based on no evidence whatsoever. Uh, and and then Amy Coney Barrett, you know they they tried to they tried to argue that um, her Catholicism was disqualifying, and they tried to uh, filibuster her. So the point is, Democrats see the court as a vehicle to make policy without working through the democratic process. They can and do, you know. They see it as, a, as an avenue to do an end around the Constitution by having five unelected lawyers in black robes declare the law, skip the entire um, democratic process. So, you know, in during her confirmation hearings, Judge Jackson was asked, "What's the definition of a woman?" She couldn't say. She said she's no, not a biologist. She could say. No, she, she certainly could she, say.
1: She chose to not say. They
0: didn't want to, and why? Yes. Because. There's she's so much alienated. pressure from the yeah. radical woke left. Yeah. And she knew that she didn't want to step in that. So she will be a predict, I think she's, I don't, I don't question her qualifications or her intellect. I don't question her, her life story. She's got a powerful story, but I also am very confident that she would be a predictable vote against second amendment rights against religious Liberty against the right to life. Uh, she would be uh, probably skeptical when it comes to conservative free speech. She would probably be much looser when it comes to crime and abolishing the police. Well, when it comes to crime, obviously, um, several Republican senators pointed out the light sentencing record that she has for child pornographers. So I think that uh, if we, as Repub- Republicans, should focus on the substance in her record and not defame her. And there were times that I think that they went too far, probably. But the point being, they should not filibuster like the Democrats have done, but they shouldn't vote for her either. Yeah. What do you think, Cun?
1: Well, so I'm looking I'm a am a realist. So um, because of Donald Trump's theatrics after the November 2020 election, we lost both of the Georgia runoff seats, and I think um, had Trump um, behaved himself we would have won at least one and maybe two, and and I'd be in a very different position. But because uh, we have a 50-50 Senate and Kamala Harris gets to break the tie, and because uh, KJB, uh, Judge Jackson Brown, is replacing an already liberal member of the court, and because we all know she's going to be confirmed whether Mitt Romney votes for her or not, uh, I tweeted out two weeks ago um, that I also agree, like uh, 14... law professors that she's clearly qualified to be on the Supreme court. And while I don't deny anything that you've said, all I, all I'm hearing you say is because the Democrats have behaved poorly, the Republicans should also behave poorly. And I'm just a little bit more aspirational than that. And, And I may be Pollyannish and I may be naive, but I would like to hit the reset button and I would go back. I'd like to go back to the 80s and the 70s and say if we have a democratic president and they have a democratic majority and we have someone that checks the boxes on the academic qualifications then why do we want to spend all of our political en- uh, um, energy opposing that person when we know they're going to be confirmed and she will be confirmed and she will be a solid liberal vote but she's replacing Breyer who's already a solid liberal vote. So right now, the conservatives have a 6-3 advantage. After she's confirmed next month, we'll still have a 6-3 advantage. And that's why I'm not sure during the, with the war in Ukraine and with the fact that she's the first black female, allegedly female, because we now don't know what a woman is, <laughs> um, you know, a candidate. I'm just not sure that that this is, a, this is a, a useful distraction. So that was my tweet. I'll stick by that tweet. Now, I will say, I was disappointed um, in in some of her uh, testimony. I'm sure she was coached by the Democrats, but not only did she refuse to define what a woman is, and I think she could have easily given a historical definition that had to deal with genitalia. She could have easily given a scientific definition that had to deal with the XX chromosome. And then she could have also said, among certain communities, um, that definition has, has been changing in the last decade or so to accommodate and respect transgender people. I think she could have said that and, and been safe. Uh, I think she'll be ridiculed for years for saying that she can't define what a woman is because she's not a biologist. It was a silly answer, but I'm sure she was coached to say that. But I'm more disappointed, Corey, that she was unwilling in response to several questions to, to, to share her judicial philosophy. And I think that that is um, somewhat disingenuous. She's been a federal judge for nine years. Oh, and by the way, she's been confirmed by the Senate several times. By the way, um, we only hear on the news about the really partisan issues. The Supreme Court issues about 100 decisions a year. And a lot of them are nine to zero or eight to one or seven to two. Nobody cares about those. Nobody cares if it's maritime law or if it's some archaic rule of civil procedure. They only care about, the social justice warrior issues. And we know where she's going to be on that. And we know where Breyer would have been. And that's why I think we're trading one liberal vote for another. And that's just, I don't know that we want the appearance, you know, for these swing voters of a bunch of white Republicans beating up on the first black female um, SCOTUS nominee or SCOTUS member, soon to be SCOTUS member. So that was where I was coming from.
0: All right, good enough. That's the last word. And I think we're over time. We had a lot All of right. good topics today.
1: Hey, thanks, Corey. All right. Thanks, Todd.
0: See you next week. All right. Bye-bye.